This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. We start the week by turning our attention to the United States where Lunar New Year could become the 12th federally commemorated holiday in the United States. I'm sure Asian Americans are going finally. And also, we're going to be looking at the Joe Rogan saga. Popular US podcaster Rogan is making headlines again, but this time for apologizing for using racial slurs. Uh, and Russia signaling for a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. We ask these questions to Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McLarty Associates. Steve, good morning. How are you, man? I'm great. Good morning, everybody. This might be a weird one for a lot of us here to hear about, uh, where Lunar New Year could become the United States' newest federal holiday under a bill that's been proposed by Democratic Representative Grace Meng. That's quite a significant step to recognize a day that's honored by many East Asian communities around the world. Why? That's why it's, it sounds weird. What's the significance of this? Uh, what kind of message does this send to the Asian American community in the U.S.? Well, the representative says that, uh, and she has 44 co-sponsors, so this is not just one person. I mean, there's a, 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 a sig- small but significant uh, push for this. And, it's, and she says this sends a powerful message of inclusion to Asian Americans and, and to non-Asians. Um, and it raises the visibility of the, of the culture and the traditions, which is really important because of how much marginalization and sometimes outright discrimination and attacks yeah. Asians and Asian Americans have encountered over the you know the past two years, really since you know since COVID started. So look, it, it's this is a long time happening at the federal level, but you're seeing it happen at, at state and local levels. You see you know school closings in New York, San Francisco, even you know in Iowa City and in, in the suburbs of Maryland giving giving kids the day off so families can stay together. So we're, it's moving forward, and, but it may not move at the federal level, but it's moving at the, at the local level, and that's a good thing. All right. Uh, something else making headlines, Steve. We couldn't help but notice last Friday, the Republican Party criticized U.S. Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for joining Congress's investigation of the January 6th Capitol attacks and, of course, Donald Trump's efforts to overturn his 2020 presidential election defeat. Uh, they've called the probe an attack on legitimate political discourse. What does this really suggest about the RNC's allegiance to the former president and how exactly will Cheney and Kinziger's involvement in the investigation impact Republican efforts to win back majorities in Congress? Well, I'll, I'll use Republican words. Um, mm. uh, what, what Republican, and you know, Mitt Romney, senator from, from, from Utah, who was the Republican presidential nominee against Barack Obama for, for the President Obama's second term, he said that shame falls on his party that would censure persons of conscience. Lisa Murkowski, Republican senator from Alaska, said that, uh, you know, we cannot allow a false narrative to be created and you cannot deny the truth of what happened on January 6th. And, and to suggest it's just legitimate political discourse is wrong. Like, politically, this makes no sense whatsoever. Right. You're headed into a midterm election year. The, the, the Democrats have trouble. Biden's approval rating is low. COVID-19 deaths, over 900,000 now in the U.S. Inflation is really high, and that's most people's main concerns. And yet the Republicans are continuing to, to build on Donald Trump's big lie, to continue to buy into his false narrative that, that it was a, a rigged election, the election, so on. This is political malpractice on behalf of the Republicans. Now, they may still win in November, but if they do, it, it's going to be in spite of the IRNC, not because of it. 
This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're on the line with Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McLarty Associates. Steve, I got to tell you, man, I have unfollowed this guy in every way possible. Joe Rogan, a popular U.S. podcaster, talks a lot about MMA as well. He's issued a, an apology for the second time in a week, this time for using racial slurs. Uh, there was a montage video surfacing that showed him repeatedly saying the N-word. Unfortunately, I can't say that on air. I mean, Spotify, how are people viewing Spotify right now? Is there a potential that people will be even more careful with the kind of podcast content that they consume? Because it's not difficult to get your own podcast up on Spotify. This is the question, Elliot. You framed it exactly right. Is Spotify a publisher or is Spotify a platform? Mm. Is Spotify, if it is a platform, and we're just open and anybody can post anything here and we're not responsible for what's up there because it's, it's, it's open. That's one thing. But Spotify is not a platform in this case. They're really a publisher. Mm. And they are a publisher because they are making choices about who to pay and what kind of content to provide in its service for commercial reasons. And they have paid Joe Rogan $100 million for an exclusive deal. They are a publisher. They're responsible. And they're starting to get the, the, the heat that comes with being a publisher. And they can't pretend to be a platform. And when Joe Rogan uses the, the, you know, the worst really word you can almost think of in the English language in the United States right now, that is, is causing Spotify and Joe Rogan huge problems. And they have to address it. Now, Joe Rogan has, has said that his use of the N-word was regretful and shameful. And they have now taken down not just a couple podcasts about COVID, they've taken down over 100 podcasts of Joe Rogan now, almost all of them before COVID. So who knows what racist things he said that Spotify has on its platforms and they're going to have a reckoning. Yep, it certainly does look that way. Uh, Let's move our attention to Russia and Ukraine, that crisis and the U.S.'s involvement within it. According to U.S. officials, Russia has in place about 70% of the combat power it believes it would need for a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. It's sending more battalion tactical troops to the border with its neighbor. The number of battalion groups in the border region has risen more and more. We're talking about risen to 83 from 60 in the last two weeks and 14 more in transit. How would you look at the significance of all these moves? To what extent is the window for diplomacy and the use of tools such as sanctions actually closing? Well, I, I look not only what happened in, in, in Ukraine with everything you just described, but also what happened in Beijing, right, where, where she and Putin met And they have a a joint statement now that is saying what really this is about is not about 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 uh, Russia. It's about the West. Um, And it's about how the U.S., how China and Russia uh, are framing this in broader terms. And this is as a response to the U.S. global policies rather than as Russian expansionism. So that's very troubling um, in terms of the prospects for invasion, because the last time there was a, the Russian troops invaded, uh, uh, well, the second to last time was in Georgia uh, in 2008 during the, China, during the Olympics when they were hosted in China. Let's hope we don't have a repeat of history. Yeah, everything's pointing less and less towards a diplomatic solution right now. 
Okay, got a final question for you, Steve. And this is a disturbing one. Hundreds of protest- protesters taking to the streets of downtown Minneapolis over the weekend demanding police, uh, demanding justice, rather, in the fatal police shooting of a young black man. This was during a no-knock raid on his apartment earlier in the week. Steve, this is looking... This is looking very familiar, you know, especially when you start thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement on the back of the death of George Floyd. Yeah, and the question is, you know, should you have no-knock warrant at all, right? So a no-knock warrant is when the police go to a judge and they get permission to just, you know, barge down a door, guns, you know, guns, you know, drawn, um, screaming and shouting and, you know, shining lights in people's eyes. Mm. And and what happens when you have a no-knock warrant and people just barge in is you have a lot of confusion. People are going to not know what's happening, even though the police are yelling out search warrant. And so what happened here is they didn't need to have a no-knock warrant, but they, they did get one legally. And when they used it, they go into this apartment. There's a a guy who's sleeping uh, on a couch under covers. He wakes up now. He has a gun with him, right? So we're not, you can't look at what the individual police officers did. Here's a, he had a gun in his hand and then he was shot. And so the question is, why did you have the no-knock warrant in the first place to barge in like this? To And, and other states have banned no-knock warrants. Um, and why Minneapolis had one is is a question there's now a moratorium on them and so it shows that we really have to have a discussion about policing and police policies in the united states to try and prevent these things Mm, a long-running debate that i'm sure will continue uh thank you so much for joining us today we've been speaking with steve oaken senior advisor at mcclarty associates you have a great day yeah steve thank you too The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.